Right, so last week we started uh, just a two-parter short series that we're calling Like This. No, not like that, like this. Uh, and you hear often uh, around here the words uh, live like Jesus and share his love. And um, that can seem intimidating, but God didn't intend for that to be intimidating, uh, but in, instead encouraging. Instead, hey, you can live like Jesus. You can talk like Jesus, walk like Jesus, sound like Jesus. It is possible. It was never meant to feel impossible. It was meant to be encouraging, life-giving, exciting. And um, I'm glad that throughout the scripture, we have a number of different places that we can look where we can see something simple that we can adjust so that we are more like Jesus. It's inspiring. It's life-giving. It's good. And so last Sunday, invited all of you to read the four chapters of Philippians and ask yourself a couple of simple questions. Um, but in this, live like Jesus and share his love, we, we're reading that it's with the help of God that we can become more like Jesus. It's with the help of God. That's a very important distinction. No one here today is asking you to become more like Jesus out of your own strength, out of what you've got. Aren't you thankful? Yeah. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that, yeah, it's not possible. That we need the help of God. Uh, it's very, very important. So what we see here in Philippians is that passionately, Paul writes about the essential nature of relying on faith in Jesus as our means of salvation and not our own righteous deeds. He refutes false teachers and their manipulation of God's word. They were trying to gain influence by teaching that circumcision and obedience to Jewish customs were essential to salvation. Having obeyed each of these laws and customs, Paul writes that faith in Christ has brought salvation and nothing else. That's still true today. Aren't you thankful for that? Paul writes that he will daily pursue a personal spiritual growth and obedience to God as long as he lives. Now, these couple of pictures of the ancient city of Philippi uh, that give us kind of a sense uh, that there was a lot going on. It was a multi-ethnic, multicultural city. Uh, it had challenges. It had culture. It, it liked debate. It liked a variety of things. And when this faith in Jesus entered the equation, it was something new. It was something really different. And in keeping with the teaching of Jesus... The followers of Jesus talked about a very simple principle of building your life, as it were, like a house on a foundation, a sure foundation, which is Jesus Christ himself, which is the strength that you draw from your personal relationship with Jesus. It's really important that we just, we don't leave this as a overly simplistic but spooky spiritual principle that we just check the box, yeah, okay, I'm cool with that, I'll quote, build my life on Jesus, and then nothing happens as a result of that. That's not helpful, that's not life-giving, that's not actually bringing you any strength. But instead, what we need is some assistance in learning how to derive our strength, how to draw our strength from Jesus, and both in looking at the words that Jesus said, and watching the actions of Jesus, can we see what Jesus is like, and what that means about who we are as it relates to God, 
and who God is and how God has already proven his character, his behavior to us. And that is why we have joy. And that's what this letter talks about, which we talked last week about the context of the earthquake and the prison. Yeah, listen to it. It was a cool story. So joy comes from this personal relationship with Jesus foundation. But the context of that in this letter includes some essential elements, which you see on the screen, faith, love, unity, humility, and focus. Kind of seems an odd word choice, but it is there. Last week we looked at these very simple truths. As a believer, God is at work within you. It's God who's doing the heavy lifting, and it's God we should turn to when we want to see our character shaped and changed. It's not we turn to ourselves and try to force a behavior change. You certainly can, and many people do force a behavior change for a short measure of time. But you will only find lasting change when you have turned to the God source. God is at work within you doing the heavy lifting. Philippians 1, 6. Love will overflow as we grow. Philippians 1, 9. Into changed lives. This love flows into us literally changing our lives, changing our perspective. We saw that in the first two chapters. And in chapter 2, in particular, verses 1 through 11, we see one of the most beautiful, and I think for us as a church, one of maybe the top four most transformative scriptures in outlining how Jesus lived out this agape love in a sacrificial way. It was meaningful. It was important. Isn't that good? Now, today... And I think I've literally written like four different outlines for this message. So I'm going to try to have some coherent thought that I share with you. Because there is so much that we can draw from chapters 3 and 4. So many different things. We see them on the screen. I want to refer to a couple before we get to the screen. Chapter 1 and verse 27 and... In chapter 3, we see Paul reference us as believers as being citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. In other places, Paul talks about our personal identity and how important it is for us to look, think about ourselves as followers of Christ before we even consider our gender, our ethnicity, our culture, um, any, any other way in which we might identify ourselves. We must think about ourselves as Jesus followers first. In, in this letter to the Philippians, it's citizens of heaven. Citizenship was a very important thing because in their culture and the people that this letter was written to in their lifetime, they had seen more than one political power come in with the military, overthrow the last one and take control. They had seen, they had experienced multiple different citizenships and what came with it. What identity came with it, what benefits came with it. With the Greeks came culture and language and and beauty and philosophy and poetry. With the Romans came aqueducts and Rome and, and roads and physical security and identity and an ability to be represented in court of people groups that weren't able to before. There was different things that were associated with citizenship. And so when Paul writes this, you are citizens of heaven, 
that should ring a bell for us. Whoa. We're citizens of heaven. And in this letter, he beautifully writes about the expectation that Jesus will return. We are aliens in this world. We are eternal spiritual beings having a temporary natural experience. You are a citizen of heaven as a Jesus follower. Oh, that's exciting. It is for me. Let it get down in your system. Taste it. Digest it. Get it in your system. Give it at least a week. Try. <laughs> By the end of the week, you will wake up and say, I'm going to approach this day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. <laughs> if I have an expectancy of Jesus' return, it means all of my problems, all of my challenges in this world are temporary. They will be in the big scheme of things short-lived. What's the worst that can happen? I kill you right now when you're in heaven. Morbid, I know. But come on, sometimes to unpack stress, we've got to digest, dissect, open up. Why? So serious. See, when you're experiencing stress and anxiety... Underneath whatever is on the surface, there is a belief that something you hold valuable is not certain, is not okay. That's what's underneath. If in the bedrock of my soul, if the foundation of the house of my life, there is Jesus, then comes a slowly, for most of us, transformative inner fortitude. A peace, a, Ben, what's that phrase? A defiant joy. A strength of character, a hope that wells up within me that is both very non-emotional and very emotional. It is both. Because it is my spiritual eyes being open to the fact that I am a citizen of heaven, that everything of this world is temporary, that it will all pass away, and that I will be with my Savior forever. No more crying, no more suffering. No more weakness, no more pain. I think I'm the only one that's really excited about this. This letter, you cannot miss the context of we are citizens of heaven expecting the return of Jesus and that is sugar and caffeine all together in one. Okay, that's why we say it motivates my life. Allow me, if I may, to read a couple of passages. That's that first bullet point that you see on the screen. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3 says this. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Faith in Jesus motivates my life. What was happening was that there were false teachers that were coming in and trying to say that circumcision and other Jewish customs were necessary for salvation. And Paul is saying, no, that's hooey. 
It's worse than horseradish sauce. It's not true and not helpful. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. I know what it's like to say to myself on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning, I did not have a good week. I don't feel like going to church. Because I have connected my identity with God with my behavior. Now, most certainly God cares about your behavior, but he cares about what's going on in your heart more. And if I am feeling that I don't want to go to church, I don't want to go to a smaller group, I don't want to go be around other Christians because I had a bad week. That's wrong-headed thinking. It's stinking thinking. Because it's a merit-based theology, which we do not find in Scripture. My faith in Jesus plus nothing equals my salvation. In this room, we have sinners and forgiven sinners. That's it. Hello? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9 says this. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Will I choose to believe that God is who he said he is? That Jesus' way of salvation is actually true. That's the hinge. Your salvation. So it motivates my life. Verses 12 through 14. So for, for some of us, this is a deeply meaningful passage. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. That's that completion word that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Faith in Jesus motivates my life. There is a forward-leaning posture. There is a regardless of my past. And I would even say this. I've seen maybe as many Christians hampered in their relationship with God because they had some good experiences in the past and so they rely on that. So they don't dig as deep into their relationship with God in the present because I had some good days in the past. Did you know that you can miss that perfect intimacy and communion with God through two paths? Sin and a false righteousness. In the Greeks, we called it a nomos. This false use of the scriptures that could justify, oh, I had all this good in the past. Paul's saying of both the good and the bad, I forget what is behind me. And I lean in. I press on. Am I not seeking the presence of God the same way today because my life is not in shambles in the way it was before? But then I wonder, why am I angsty? I'm not a teenager anymore. 
Well, if you're not spending time in the presence of God because you have good memories of how you did it before, I'll stop. I'm stepping on someone's toes. I'm sure of it. Continuing, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, the second point on the screen, faith in Jesus. With prayer, we choose joy over anxiety. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So this joy word, not so much the emotion word that we think of in English, a sustaining, a steady, a decision, a posture, a life change, a, a, a direction. Enjoying a state of happiness. You could translate it. And we see in this, his peace, and remember our earlier series on Shalom, that's that concept, his completing me, Shalom, you're starting to see these different series woven together, right, with the scripture. His shalom peace is completing me. It's bringing strength to me. We'll guard our hearts and minds. Now, you may recall that Paul is in prison at the time of writing this letter, but not in prison the way that you might think of it. In this case, he's in house arrest under Roman guard. But actually, at this point in his life, on more than one occasion, soldiers have protected him from being killed by a variety of religious people who wanted to put him to death because of this Jesus stuff. So Paul has seen on more than one occasion his life preserved, his life guarded by soldiers. There were people in different cities, uh, both Jews but also pagans and different religions, who saw this Jesus worship as a threat to their livelihood. And they sought to kill him on multiple occasions. And so Paul now is, on a daily basis, can see a soldier putting on his armor, putting on his sword, to guard him, to protect him until his trial that was upcoming. So this is a visual aid. And they knew that. They knew what was going on. They knew his story. They knew what I just explained. So when he uses this phrase, both joy, what they had seen in the start of their church, the story in Acts 17, both joy and the shalom peace, they understood that very deeply from the good news of Jesus and all that Jesus taught. Joy, peace, and guarding, those were concepts that were vibrant to them. Like, whoa. Okay, there's an interconnectedness here of these principles as it relates to my relationship with Jesus. Certainly, one of the things we talk with Christians about the most is where they are experiencing stress and anxiety and a lack of peace. And in every occasion, 
Digging deep into my salvation and what it means and what is the truth and what has God done so that I can be forgiven of sin? Who is it that I am speaking to? What has God already done so that I can be here is relevant to whatever is causing you that anxiety and that stress. Because if God could do this, what can't he do? And Jesus asked the question, what's the greatest miracle? That I heal that man or forgive his sins? He's already forgiven your sins. What in your life? And maybe the delay in the answer to prayer that you are experiencing is so that the trial you are experiencing would draw you closer into an intimate relationship with the Lord. With prayer, we choose joy over anxiety. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Now, we've talked about these principles a number of times. I know it's not new information to some of us. But listen, an attitude of gratitude, a gratitude list, listing the things that you are thankful for. What I'm thankful that I'm breathing. I'm thankful that I have shoes. I'm an older person now. I don't like to walk around barefoot. Find something that you are grateful for. These are old shoes, but they still function. Please don't buy me any shoes. These are old shoes, but they still function. I could be immature and focus on, I've had these forever and they're scuffed at the ends. Or I could say, I've had these forever, they're comfortable and scuffed at the ends. is actually trendy now. <laughs> we are encouraged in this passage to tell God what's on our heart, to ask Him, interesting phrase, for what we need. And thank Him for all He has done. This is the formula. This is, some of us, I need a formula, I need to figure it out. If I do this and I do that, then that happens. Well, here's one. Then, it says, you will experience God's shalom peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart. This is very important. I don't have near enough time to unpack the significance of this. We grow calloused And weary when we are guarding our hearts. Shouldn't I let the peace of God guard my heart? So, you know, for me, I'll take on the the armor of God on a daily basis and I think about, okay, the, I put on my pants first, there's a belt of truth. So God, your truth is necessary. Can't walk around anywhere without, right? Right? You need God's truth. My feet shod with the gospel of peace. 
I walk believing that my sins are forgiven. My past is behind me. I'm walking in the good news of Jesus, which brings me peace. I put on the breastplate of righteousness, not my righteousness, because that might be dirty. God's righteousness. Hello? Well, I am in a healthy place in my relationship with God and others because of the grace of Jesus. The breastplate of the Righteousness. My helmet is salvation. I'm literally looking through a visor, as it were, my mindset, my thought, my focus, the protection of my mind is the good news of Jesus, this gospel. Like Isaiah wrote about, I pray that God would be my rear guard. God's got my back. I lift up a shield of faith. I take up the sword of the Spirit. I'm going to take up the peace of God. It comes from God when I dig down into this relationship with God and realize who is in control, who is doing the heavy lifting and changing my attitudes, changing my thinking, changing my behavior. I'm asking God to do those things. I'm stepping towards Him faithfully. I'm relying on Him. I'm choosing to believe that He has already done the greater miracle. That is my way of activating that the peace of God is guarding my heart. I get into some bedrock scriptures like this one and I memorize them. 2 Timothy 1.7 God has not given me a spirit of fear or anxiety but of power and of love and a sound mind. And I might not sound that way the first time I pray it but I it kind of changes as you do. Am I making any sense? This is how I take up peace to guard my heart. So with prayer and in the context of prayer we choose joy over anxiety. Relying on God, we find peace and protection. I just explain that. That's the third point on the screen. The fourth one, we find new focus and strength. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. So there's some action steps and natural results. You ever notice that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, which means that it's not something that I choose in a sense of, I'm going to make that happen in my attitude. But actually, it's the result of me walking by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. It's a fruit. It's a byproduct. It's a result of. If But I have a choice to make. I have instructions in this passage. What are you thinking about? But don't answer that question right now. <laughs> But that is the question that we should be posing to ourselves. When I am not having peace, I need to ask myself that question. What are my thoughts fixed on? Worry is, uh, anxiety is that like reverse worrying, right? We've got that thing where I'm focusing on the negative. I'm focusing on the negative of things that haven't happened but could happen. And it's stressing me out, man. Right? I can choose to focus my mind on something better. 
Are you with me? It's possible. Now, please remember, we're not supposed to do this out of our own strength. We need the strength of God to do this, and it works best as it is in this letter in a community of believers where there are people together talking, hey, did you read that? I should be doing that. Did you read that? You focus on that? I need to move forward. Let's do this together. We talk to each other. We encourage each other. And in that context, there is hope for real change in my life. If you stay isolated, if you keep it buried, if you're not honest about it, your hope of significant change is dramatically lower. But in the context of life-giving, mature relationships with other Christians, where we're focused on Jesus and the way forward, I can talk to each other, you know, I'm having a hard problem, I'm having a hard time with the focus of my mind. We can give each other some suggestions, we can check in with each other, we can encourage each other. I thought this was good. So, Paul calls the Philippians to enjoy a state of happiness from their relationship with God. Looking toward the return of Jesus, he calms anxiety and induces prayer with thanksgiving. Peace comes from choosing joy in this way. This peace can bring a protection to what we are thinking and how we are feeling. We must choose to focus our thoughts on what is true. Honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise. The God of peace is with us. From this, Paul learned to live at peace in any situation. This is why he could write Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. From his glorious riches, God will provide for all the needs of those who choose courageous generosity. We see that in this chapter. I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I press on. So, the context of this verse, so often quoted by people, in the context of, so I can get a better car, better house, is actually a context of, I can choose to be content in any situation. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from His glorious riches which have now been given to us in Christ Jesus. Did you know that as a Jesus follower, you are not going to be given anything more valuable than you have already been given? Your salvation. The writers of the writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 2, how then will we overcome if we ignore so great a salvation? You got the goods. You've had the best thing already given to you. From his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. It is that same God. So faith in Jesus motivates my life. With prayer we choose joy over anxiety. Relying on God we find peace and protection. We find new focus and strength. So coming out of today we want to ask just two questions. What is the one area that the Holy Spirit is leading you to work on in becoming more like Jesus?
like for you to pray about this. Consider it deeply. Do a little bit of writing, even if it's just one word, bullet points or phrases. Because you might have a long list. But your, your list might be some negative self-talk. And it might not be the one thing that the Holy Spirit is interested in changing. In my experience, the Holy Spirit is gentle. In my experience, the Holy Spirit does not overwhelm us. In my experience, the Holy Spirit doesn't give us too much information. That's Pastor Ben who does that. <laughs> well, the Holy Spirit is different. You can write out a long list. You don't need to. You could, but then ask, what is the one thing that God is wanting to work on? Because what you're going to do next is ask God to work on it. And for most of us, if we get enough quiet time away from screens and distractions, we look at this list, there is going to be one thing that jumps out. And you will probably know because it will probably not be something that you feel like you can tackle on your own. It might be something, though, that you do already feel some momentum in. You can already connect some circumstances, conversations, things that have changed. Any ways you've been convicted of sin or maybe ways you've been uh, encouraged about change that has already started to develop. The Holy Spirit will illuminate the one thing. What is the one thing that he's wanting to work at? And then the second question, very simple. What is one step you can take toward that change? Just identify one step. In this live like Jesus, share his love, and this becoming more like Jesus, and this all that we can take away from Philippians. What's the one area God is talking to you about? And what is one step you can take in that direction? Now remember, we do not endeavor to do this outside of a context of relationship with God, that it's God who's doing the heavy lifting, and out of a relationship of life-giving, uh, life-giving relationship with other believers that are helping, that we're sharing this honestly with. That's the way forward. That's encouraging. You're not alone. You don't need to be alone. This is not too much. For with God, nothing's impossible. Nothing is impossible. Well, I'd like to close in prayer. I think that's quite enough information for the day. Listen, God loves you today. God wants His peace to truly protect your heart and your mind. That's what God wants. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your favor. I thank you for your great love. I thank you that you are speaking to us through Philippians. I thank you, Lord, that we can rely on you. That we are citizens of heaven. That Jesus will return. That our joy is not futile. It's not crazy. Our joy is based on reality. I thank you, Lord, that you will give us the strength to focus our thoughts. 
I ask today that you would indeed speak to us about what area in which you want us to become more like Christ and the one step that we can take in that direction. I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. I thank you, Lord, that you are true. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Please feel free to greet one another, pray for each other, enjoy something to eat or drink. God bless you. Have a great day. Grace and peace to you.